And welcome to another edition of Across the County. Let me check. Are we on the air? Yes, we are on the air, and we are on the air with my next guest, Rick Elkin. He's a commentator and author of The Illusion of Knowledge, Why So Many Educated Americans Embrace Marxism. And Marxism, my friends, you better get used to it if Joe Biden wins the presidency from President Donald J. Trump. I don't want to get into politics, actually, with going into a holiday weekend, but you know what? It is critical. I'm looking at the calendar. It is is September. The election is on November 3rd. Time to get to it. RickElkin.com. Rick, it's good to have you back on. It's been since March, my friend, way too long. Yes, it's been way too long. We need to do this more often. But I really appreciate the opportunity to talk to you. I always enjoy it. Always enjoy it, too. Well, you recently spoke out in Ramona about the influence that the, uh, as you so cleverly put it, the Franken media has uh, used gaslighting to coercively control all of our lives. And they do. And it's going to be more apparent and it's going to get more frequent headed up to the election, and especially if Joe Biden wins the White House, it's not going to go away. So let's talk about gaslighting a little bit, because I think maybe people aren't aware of it. It's basically a tool used to manipulate someone by psychological means, and it will even make them question, let's say, their own sanity. Uh, I know you have a pretty uh, historical background on gaslighting. I didn't realize it went back as far as it goes. Where does it come from? Well, it was coined by a playwright in the 40s uh, and a play about, um, you know, coercive manipulation within a relationship. And really, this is the popularization of the term gaslighting, uh, where in a relationship, one partner, usually the man, but it can be a woman, um, controls the identity, the thinking, the actions, the relationships of their partner. And they do this by using a subtle, long-term process. And um, gaslighting kind of capsulates that whole process. Um, there's another clinical term for it called perspecticide, which is the murder of uh, rational perspective. And this is what clinicians refer to. Um, and let me give you an example of how this works. Um, well, first of all, most of us probably know somebody who's been in an abusive relationship. So, sure. you know, you see them and you, they, they've got a black eye and you say, hey, what, you know, what's happening? And they go, oh, nothing, you know, don't worry about it, you know, we'll work it out. And you realize that it's a problem with their partner and you're worried because it's clear there's been physical altercation. And as time goes on, you start to realize it's a lot more serious than they're willing to admit. Um, they act differently. They become more withdrawn. You don't see them as often. And when you do, they're just not the same person. So if you've ever been around that, you, you will know the symptoms of somebody who's being gaslighted. Um, and for, I use the example of Nicole Simpson, O.J. Simpson's wife. She used to call the police, and they'd go over to the house, and she'd say, well, O.J.'s up to it again, you know, and she'd have two black eyes. And the cops would say, well, do you want us to arrest him? And she'd say, well, no, you know, it's just, it's just him. And they'd say, well, you know, I mean, this is serious. I mean, we can arrest him for assault. And she'd say, well, no, you know, I love him. So this is also a symptom of people who are being gaslighted. They, they become addicted to it, and they rationalize it, and they call it love. And so how does this occur? Well, it is through a long process. And let me give you an example of how other forms of this exist. Let's take um, Alcoholics Anonymous. Mm -hmm. Alcoholics become, you know, a, a 
pretty much dysfunctional. Um, they rationalize their use and abuse of alcohol. They become violent. They lose their job. They lose their family. Everything goes wrong. So in order to fix that, they go through some kind of a group, typically AA or could be any kind of a support group, uh, and they basically have to tear them down and rebuild them so that they don't have that same kind of uh, management system of their lives because whatever they've been doing doesn't work. We do this with new recruits in the military when we take these young guys and put them in the boot camp. Oh, sure. It's, it's not just about the physical training that they go through. Uh, the, our military, God bless them, it, it's all about mental training, too. Yeah, they have to prepare them for war. So they have to tear them down and to kind of disassociate them from all of their previous notions about, you know, killing people and teach them a whole new ethic so that they're prepared to do what they have to do on the battlefield. Um, and so, so these kind another typical example of, of gaslighting or prospecticide is uh, prisoners of war. When we take prisoners of war or when our guys are taken as prisoners of war, um, you know, they tear those guys down to co- try to convert them or at least to get secrets from them, to get them, you know, to uh, give up whatever they might know uh, that the opponents need to know. So they psychologically subject them to a completely uh, rebuild their mentality. And sometimes they get them to actually turn against their own country mm-hmm. and do videos or recordings where they say, you know, I, I you know, I'm, I'm now with these guys. Um, Patty Hearst, you remember when she was kidnapped by the FLA, the Sibianese Liberation uh, Army in LA many years ago. And, you know, she was a wealthy heiress to the Hearst Empire and very conservative family and everything, and they took her hostage. And after a long period of being hostage, she converted, and she became one of them. She actually participated in a bank robbery. And, you know, eventually she got caught, and when she went to trial, her her attorney said, well, she's been brainwashed. Well, yeah. I love what you just said. You said you talked about brainwashing. You talked about turning against your country. That's a lot of what is going on with the political narrative right now from the left towards anybody that does not support their platform. And people might even be gaslighted about the what their belief system is and not even know that it's happening. They don't even know it's happening. And here's the theory and the thesis of my book, Illusion of Knowledge is that this process has been going on for 50 years in our educational system. Yeah, like you said, it's a slow burn. It's a slow burn. And over the years, I, I tell the story that when I was in college, um, my last year at Long Beach State, um, I was selected to um, do a student exchange. And it was a social studies class or some cultural class or something. And the guy said, hey, would you like to go over there? And they'll send a student over here for a day. And I said, yeah, yeah, I'm in. So they sent me to USC. So anyway, I get over there, and they put me in a room with three radical leftists, somebody from Students for a Democratic Society, oh boy. from the Black Panthers, somebody from La Raza. And I was a white guy with curly hair and big sideburns, and you know I was an anti-war hippie, but that didn't matter. They held me for five hours and interrogated me and told me that I was a white, privileged, um, bigoted, um, you know, misogynist, all the stuff yeah. that you hear today, this was in 1972. 
Nothing new. This has been going on for 50 years, and it's not new. And, and our kids, myself included at that time, and now my kids and our kids have been put through this process. Now, people ask me all the time, why are all these, you know, fairly educated um, uh, anchors in the news and and op-ed writers for the newspapers and, you know, politicians. Why why are they all so, so eager to embrace Marxism? And my answer is, well, they would be, I would be surprised if they weren't, because most of them have spent 12 to 16 years in our educational system being indoctrinated with Marxist theory. And they're good students. Oh, yeah. And you hear a lot about, you know, the judge nominees being chosen and they have a background from an Ivy League school. I'm like, okay, well, that's a red flag right there because I don't want someone that's a judge that went to an Ivy League school. Yeah, exactly. And then this is why we're and you mentioned earlier, I coined the phrase Franken media. I, I resent it when they talk about the mainstream media. Yeah. There's no such thing. The, there is no mainstream media. They don't rep, represent the mainstream. They're far from that. So it, it, we're giving them way too much credit when we call them the mainstream media. And besides that, the problem is not just the media. It's not just television. It's not just um, newspapers. It's a wide range. I call it a Franken-media monster because it's a bunch of different things all stitched together like a Frankenstein monster. It's academia. It's the unions. It's the, it is the TV and radio and newspaper people. I mean, you could go on. It's Hollywood. Oh, even right now with the education thing going on right now, and some people don't want kids to ever go back to traditional schools, these teachers' unions are so corrupt it is unbelievable. Well, a teacher's union, the NEA is the biggest union in the country. It's massive. Yeah. The influence that it exerts on our politicians is massive. And honestly, if you look at California, you understand why California has gone so far left, because this is the home of Hollywood. This is the home of the high-tech media people that are really left-wing, and mainly because they spent their whole career learning everything they learned in our college system where they've been gaslighted by leftist professors for 15 years. Oh, sure. And if you're conservative and if you're on the right and you go in there with your ideas and try and speak up, you're either cast out or you're reprogrammed. Yeah, you're gaslighted, or you better just be quiet like my kids. They just kind of quietly went through yeah. and did whatever they needed to do to yeah. get out of there and get their, you know, their degree. Um, but, but you know, it, like I said, it, it's, it's almost hard to understand why kids coming out of the school systems over the last 30 years aren't Marxists. I mean, it's hard to believe there are any. Now, some of, obviously, a lot of the people in the sciences and stuff, you know, you can't screw around with history. Two plus two equals four. And, you know, you can't mess with chemistry and all those kind of things because it's pretty, pretty simple. So those people, engineers, they're typically not leftists. They're pretty much middle of the road or more on the right. You start getting into social studies and world government and that type of stuff. Journalism, it's a whole different ball of wax. And the arts and all that kind yeah. of stuff. And, and this is where, you know, these people, and, and then when you listen to them talk and you ask them a question about history and they have no clue at all, uh, that it's really scary. Because if you don't know where you're coming from, you can't figure out where you're going. And this is what I believe. That's why I call it the illusion of knowledge. You know, the, the biggest object or uh, the biggest impediment to progress 
is not ignorance. It's the illusion of knowledge. And I'm, I'm stealing that quote. Uh, and I have that in my book uh, because I think that's actually true. One of the things you'll note when you see a lot of these radical Antifa people is their arrogance and their ignorance. They go hand in hand. On one hand, they they brag about you know how they want to be communism and they want the world to be more fair and everybody have equal distributed wealth and we can all have a car in our garage and blah 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 blah. And then you ask them something about well, have you, have you ever read anything about Mao Zedong? And they're like, who? They don't know. Yeah, that's... it's hard to it's hard to get angry at somebody who is that ignorant. And there's a lot of ignorance, and there's a lot of ignorance, Rick, going on out there. Rick Elkin, my guest, author, commentator, just a semi-regular on the show that i got to have back on more often, and we haven't had him on since March, and that's going to change. But the country has been shut down now since the last time I talked to you for an additional six months, and there have been many lies from politicians, uh, mostly Democrat, but some Republicans as well, about the coronavirus, especially if it's a Democrat-run state, you get a lot of that. The fear is being used as a gaslighting tool to keep people more submissive and without freedoms, which enrages me. And I smell that there's more gaslighting around the corner, that this isn't going to stop, especially headed up into Election Day. They want to drag this thing out, this coronavirus, as much as possible because they know with facts and economics, they can't beat Trump. There's no way. Yeah, actually, you know, and this is one of the um, fundamental processes used to gaslight people is to isolate them and feed them only the information that you want them to have. Right. Um, and so you typically separate them from their relatives, from their friends, from their church, uh, from anything that will give them a lifeline. You separate them from that so that you can control the information and control their attitude. And then you use a lot of fear and intimidation, but then you mix that with adulation and adoration. Mm. And um, typically, you know, the woman eventually gets her affirmation from this partner, and that's how she gets kind of addicted to whatever it is he tells her. Uh, and But ultimately what ends up happening is they end up becoming isolated. And, and so this is what I think we're seeing with the division in our, our politics, that people are having a hard time now just having a discussion. Uh, you know, even our best friends, sometimes we, if we have a political uh, disagreement, we find ourselves just ignoring it. I had a friend. I'm glad you brought that up. I had a dear friend that lived in the UK and he knew I was a Trump supporter and he was kind of on the edge, but not very conservative. And I have to tell you, he one day said, Hey, I want to know what you think about Trump when it, it talks when it regards the coronavirus. And I said, you really don't want to know my opinion. And I think it's best if I keep it to myself because I think it'll affect our friendship. He insisted. I shared. We're no longer friends because he said he, he couldn't be friends with me. Yeah. Well, you know, this is sad, really. I mean, I, I've always had, I am, first of all, I was very leftist when I came out of college and for a good part of my first part of my young life, you know, and then I gradually had an epiphany and have become much, much more conservative. But I've always had friends on both sides of the fence. I have a lot of friends I've known literally since I was a little kid. I think that's healthy. We all agree. I do, too. And I think part of that, you have to make an effort to keep those friendships alive mm -hmm. and constantly stay in touch and be actually be concerned about them and what they do and you know what's going on in their lives rather than just focusing on your own 
Um, I think we have such an epidemic of narcissism nowadays. It's really one of the problems with people staying connected to each other. It's because they're not really interested in each other. They just want to talk about themselves all the time. Yeah, we, we were talking about that off the air. It's uh, really, you can even hear that in the music from today. The music of today and the music of 30, 40, 50 years ago, 180 degrees polar opposites. And you couldn't have some of the yeah. songs from yesteryear be successful today. No, they wouldn't even make it on the air. Nobody would ever hear about them. You know, the people laugh at them, mock, at, mock them yeah. because they're about love or happiness. Or, you know, oh, don't like don't that. talk about that, Rick. Yeah. Come on, not the L word. Yeah. yeah, so, you know, I think this is indicative and very, um, uh, uh, and, uh, a, a very symbolic of, of kind of the sickness of our culture. Um, and, and it's partly because of this ongoing um, perspective side uh, of our children and their children and each generation. It's, and, and fear is the most important element of it. Um, and, and so this, this COVID thing really fits that narrative in that it divides people. It keeps people away from groups. You can't have church meetings. You can't have, you know, political meetings. You can't have really discussions. But you can go to Walmart. Um, Don't, oh, it, it's all fine. We can all go congregate at Walmart, which I find hysterical. And isn't that interesting? I mean, why, why, was those, why were those large shopping areas exempt all along? Uh, whereas, you know, you go to a small independent store where people could keep the same distance. Yeah, there's no there, there's no logic in this, Rick, at all. No, so this is, and you know, you kind of ask yourself, well, who's making all these decisions? And, of course, the politicians will say, well, we just have to follow the science. Well, you know, there's so many other examples of not following the science. It's just hard for me to figure out, you know, who... Which science are we enlisting today? Mm. This goes back to gaslighting in that there's certain sciences that are approved, um, you know, and, and, and they're becoming more and more based on consensus. Well, if anybody knows anything about science, consensus is the last thing you want. You know, you pursue science through the investigation of evidence. It needs to be evidence-based, and then you test a theory, and then you submit that theory to other scientists, and they test it. When you have a consensus, you usually have a problem, because how many times have scientists decided consensus that something was true, and four or five years later had to back out of it? Oh, yeah. Oh, we discovered something else. That, well, that was wrong. Well, it's like the beginning of the coronavirus, Rick. They were saying, yeah. don't, oh, don't wear masks. Masks, not good. Uh, you know, and it's not going to help. Uh, but I think not because they obviously didn't take, and uh, you know, this into, you know, studies and whatnot. But they're like, well, if we can get people to wear masks, this is another form of control that we can use. And now you have Dr. Fauci and and friends coming out saying, nope, you know what? Got to wear a mask. It it keeps you safe. And, you know, in a lot of your Democrat run states, they're mandated. It's it's ridiculous. You know, I, I, I'm, I've always torn a little bit because I'm, um, I'll be 70 this month, as a matter of fact. And so I'm a prime candidate for, if I get this virus, I'm, I'm going to have a, well, again, but again, if you're if you're older, there's nothing wrong with taking. Do I think that they help somewhat? Yes. I just don't think they're as effective as some people are leading them to believe. But if you're older, I say go ahead and wear them because you want to do everything possible to keep yourself safe. Well, see, that to me makes all the sense in the world. Yeah, That's exactly the way we should look at it is we should look at it as those who are the most um, 
you know, vulnerable should take the largest degree of preventative measures. That's who should be staying at home. That's who should be wearing a mask. That's who should be maintaining social distance and all that. Uh, You take uh, little kids, for example, very few get the disease. Why are we keeping them out of school? That doesn't make any sense. No, that enrages me. We do let them go to school. We can still keep them at a reasonable distance from each other and, and, you know, do a lot of cleaning and all that kind of thing. I'm all for all that. I have a problem with any of that. I recognize that this is a health threat. There's no question about that. Uh, It always comes back to the management. Everything in our world comes back to how are we going to make the trains run on time and who's going to be the person that makes those decisions. That's what politics is all about. I agree. Uh, Noah here and across the county, Rick Elkin, my guest. Check out his book, The Illusion of Knowledge. It's so good. It's called Why So Many Educated Americans Embrace Marxism. And it's true. It's happening. You can check it out at rickelkin.com. He's also a commentator. Hey, Rick, did you watch Trump's RNC acceptance speech? Because I thought it was absolutely spectacular. He got a little bit off the cuff which Trump supporters mostly like, but still was very presidential and polished and delivered the message of Sleepy Joe's America and what that would look like. I thought it was a fine home run of a speech. Well, one thing, I don't care whose side you're on, uh, if you're at all honest, you have to admit that Trump has come an awful long way since he ran initially. Oh, great. Giving speeches and, and addressing the public. Um, you know, when he first got up on stage in the Republican nominating debates, uh, he was awkward. And, and some of the things he said didn't make any sense. Um, and, I, you know, I think at that point, a lot of people were looking at each other going, you know, who is this guy? He doesn't have a chance, blah, blah, blah. But having said that, every day that's gone by since that time, now we're about four years into this, um, Donald Trump has just gotten better and better. And I believe delivered some of the greatest speeches I've ever heard in my lifetime. Oh, I agree. Uh, was the one was the one he gave at the RNC one of those? Uh, I would probably say not so because it was primarily a sales pitch. You know, that's what he was up there to <laughs> but do. But I do like that. Okay, agreed. But he also had to sell what he's done for America because. I'll use your term. The Franken media has not reported that over the last four years. So it was kind of like a, hey, I have the time. I have the time. I'm going to talk about it. Oh, I totally agree. And, and people like my wife, for example, doesn't, she doesn't watch the news every night and pay attention to all of the, you know, runs, bases, hits and runs and all that uh, in politics. Um, and so she asked me every once in a while, you know, can you just give me a list of some of the things that Trump has accomplished? And I'm like, well, yeah, I can. It's like four pages long, but you want it? You want it? You got it, yeah. So, But I think that's the point, is that the average person doesn't keep a scorecard as as much as they probably should. So when the RNC or the DNC have to do their convention, it's their job to point out what they're going to do and what they have done. And I thought, in that sense, Trump, I don't think he missed a thing. I mean, he hit every single bullet point you could possibly hit agreed and uh, in that sense you know i over the years the republicans have been terrible at doing that um really really terrible at it at banging their own drum at at um selling their their product um trump is at heart a salesman and so one of the things he does really good is make his case 
and I thought he did a great job of that. I wouldn't personally have had him up there as long as he was up there because I think people's attention spans start to wander. Yeah, it's funny because um, I'm, you know, like I'm a fan of the three-hour movies, so I mean, he could have been up there for three hours, and I would have been fine with that. But you're, <laughs> but you're correct that the average American watching, I, I would say after about a half an hour, maybe forty yeah. minutes, they're starting to check out, regardless of how well it's going. Yeah, and I would say it doesn't matter who it is or what the situation is. Uh, you know, you have to be aware of the fact that our culture is, you know, kind of in uh, high speed mode yeah. all the time. Yeah, it's very hard to get people to sit still and pay attention. And even though my wife was very fascinated to listen to all that, I know she was squirming towards the end. She was like, okay, okay, that's enough. I've heard enough. I I see, again, a a fan of the three-hour movie. I was the one person, you know, screaming at the top of my lungs and saying that it was a home run of a speech. So, uh, but that's just me. Well, the other thing that's interesting is that the the Democrats aren't going to watch it. And uh, and then and the Republicans probably didn't watch the Democrat convention. We're we're preaching to the choir, and in that sense, um, I thought both. I think in both cases, both conventions were reasonably well done under the circumstances. Being that we got to do this now, basically with Zoom. Um, overall, I thought both did a pretty good job. Now, I I in my column I just wrote for the Times Advocate last week, I basically said I thought the Democratic thing was. Gaslighting. <laughs> I thought it was gaslighting. 100%. It was so fear-based and so dark and dystopian America. And Joe exactly. was not positive at all. Joe, I'm, I'm sure that thing was edited heavily. Well, you know, and, and but, you know, this is their this is how they operate. And this is the way they uh, lead their followers. Uh, and, and so they've manipulated their followers into buying all this fear and, and, and needing it. They actually need this to feed themselves. No, they do. I use the example that, uh, well, for example, I, I believe if your kids are going through college, and they have a reasonable, solid family behind them, hopefully a faith-based family, and, and a deep um, number of family members, a family tree that they've grown up with, they are going to be able to withstand this gaslighting assault while they go through the school system. Sure. It's the kids that come from broken families that are so susceptible. And all you have to do is look at inner cities and realize that gangs do the exact same thing. They're looking for an example to follow. And if that's a bad example, that's still an example that they're going to cling to. Yeah, these poor kids from the inner cities, they got nothing going for them. They don't have a future. So what do they do? They glom onto a gang and that becomes their new family. And the gang uses the same tools of isolation, controlling their information, having them do certain things to affirm their brotherhood, all these different things, exactly the same process that political parties in particular, the Democrats, use to to have their uh, followers be affirmed by people like Biden and Kamala Harris and the stuff they're telling them. And and so this, to me, was just a, a seminar on how to operate from the basis of fear uh, and using that fear to control people. And, and, and these people are all graduates of that whole process they've learned in school, and now they're experts at it, and they're using it to um, facilitate, you know, how they get into office and what happens once they get into office. I mean, look at the look at the uh, politics of these young um, leftists uh, uh, 
AOC and, and uh, some of them, all they, all they ever talk about is fear. It's constantly throwing fear out there that, that Trump's a Nazi, um, that the world is going to end in 10 years, um, that, you know, we can't, we can't have uh, white supremacy. I mean, for me, that was the big anything positive. Yeah, for me, Rick, that was the big and we're running out of time. But that was the big stark difference between the Republican and the and the Democrat conventions. One was based on fear and the other was based off of hope and prosperity and uh, proven track record. And for me. You can't have watched both, which I did, and said that, hey, Joe's America looks much better than Trump's. I'm sorry. Don't buy that. Yeah, I agree with you. And, you know, obviously we're on the same page politically in the way we think. Yeah. Uh, I guess the question would be, did either one of those conventions sway people one way or the other? I think they did a good job of reaching out to minorities and showing successful uh people who have bucked this whole white supremacy thing and proven that you can be successful, you can be brown skin, you can be black skin, you can be any color skin, and you can be successful in America, probably more so here than almost anywhere else in the world. And I think that was the message. They really did a pretty good job Well, amen to that, because look like him or dislike him. President Obama, last time I checked, was a black man, and he is he held the highest office in the land for eight years. Bingo. (laughs) So it doesn't it doesn't get it doesn't get any more successful than that, Rick. I know. You know, interesting, isn't it? Well, you know, know, we hear all these people saying, well, this um, trouble in the streets and all that, it's it's so bad and it's new and all that. Not new. In 1968, um, I was listening to the Democratic Convention on the radio and they had riots in the streets in 100 cities all across America. Who was president then? LBJ. Yep. This is not new. For people who are just waking up, this is not new. No, it's We've been going through this for 50 years. It's not new, but the Democrat Party of today is not the Democrat Party of yesteryear. People really need to realize that. They're, they're now, they might as well call them the Marxist Party because that's exactly what they are. Yeah, I, I agree with you 100%. Well, if people want to find out more about, and I'm going to give you 60 seconds here at the end, more about your thoughts on gaslighting, you wrote an interesting article, which I read before coming on the air with you, Winning Our Affections. It's in the Escondido Times Advocate, and that points out the gaslighting and shows more contrast between the conventions, and uh, there's also other highlights there, too. Uh, 60 seconds, Rick. Uh, any other thoughts on gaslighting, where we're headed with the election, and any future projects you might be taking part in well you know i I think this book answers that question because when i would do radio interviews that people would almost always call in and say well why do all these people embrace marxism so i felt like i needed to answer that with this book and i think i uh have floated a a, a thesis that's a little different than now we're starting to hear a lot of this just on an everyday basis from what we're seeing in the news today but my theory is that this goes back a long time and it's been a long uh, process, And I think this needs to be discussed because here's the truth. We need to fix this. We can't continue to let our schools be, you know, boot camp for Marxism. And that's essentially what we have. So we either have to take all of our kids out of school and send them to private school or homeschool them. And I think that's impractical. 
uh, or we have to do something to fix our school systems. And how do we do that? And that's a big challenge. And I'm thinking about trying to do something in that regard. Uh, but I, I'm not sure I know what the answer is. I think it's something we have to have a serious discussion. And I do believe that if Trump is reelected, we will have that discussion. I don't think we're going to have it before the election. But I do think if he's reelected, we will. If he's not reelected, we won't. Yeah, Trump is definitely uh, very interested in the education of America, uh, amongst other things. And so I think, again, if we were able to lucky enough and be blessed enough to have him get reelected, that is a discussion that we can have. If you have people like yourself and others that are interested, you bring these heads together. And I really think that we can take things in a different direction and turn things around. Yeah, you know, it's a different situation when you're in your second uh, administration. You have a lot more freedom. I know he's never going to not be under assault, and it'll probably just get even worse. But uh, the truth is that if the Democrats lose this election and they don't learn from it, well, then I think we're going to see Republicans start to come back and start to take over the Congress and really start to control things again. Uh, On the other hand, if they win this election, then we can look forward to America becoming what California is right now. And honestly, that's a pretty sad state of affairs. It's pretty frightening. It's very sad. And they always have said, so goes California, so goes the rest of the nation. And there's a lot of things in this state that's happening right now that I know yourself, myself, and others included, I, I shake my head on almost a daily basis. Some things are pretty scary. Oh, no question. I, I, I have a hard time even talking about it because it's such a mess that it's just, um, you know, I, we talked uh, at the meeting last Saturday about this guy that's um, doing a process of trying to get California split into two. I, I would support that. I'm not sure exactly how you go about it, and there's a lot of confusion, and it's difficult, and blah, 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 but but maybe that's the way to try to unwind this mess that we're in because, honestly, right now, we're living in a authoritarian state. Oh, we are. The Democrats are completely in control, and they're changing all the rules, changing. They're fixing it so that they will stay in control. That's why I call it Calenzuela. This is Venezuela all over again. Oh, it really uh, is. It's and, Venezuela light, as I like to call it. Yeah, I mean, it's and from that standpoint, you know, I mean, I look, my kids live here and their kids live here. And I have a lot of relatives and friends who live here, some of whom have left recently. (laughs) But um, a lot of us can't, you know, we've got too many roots here. And uh, so, you know, it's it's a frightening prospect. And I don't want to see this happen to the the country. And I believe that if, if we lose this election, that that would be the first step to that. And, you know, if we want this country to look like these 42 Democrat-run cities that are under assault right now, then Ugh. elect Joe Biden. That's, that's, a, that's, that's, a, whole nother, that's a whole nother show that just uh, disgusts me, is how these cities are being looted and destroyed, and these Democrat governors and mayors refuse, refuse to let Trump help them. It, it baffles me. Yeah, I mean, it's well, it just goes to show you that when you've had your identity hijacked, your values are gone. Um, This is what happens to people who've been gaslighted. They don't know who they are anymore. And, you know, they've lost um, touch with with all of the values they were brought up with. And uh, and so the rest of us look at them. We're like, what is wrong with you? I mean, it, it makes no sense. 
Um, you know, so it's this, this mayor, or I think it's the mayor of, uh, of Seattle, is blaming all of the troubles up there on Trump. Well, how removed from reality can you possibly be? He's got nothing to do with anything that's going on up there. And here's the guy that's the chief executive of the city, and he can't handle it. And so what does he do? Points his fingers. It's always somebody else's fault. Yeah, how about instead of pointing your finger and, and realizing you can't handle the situation, Trump has offered his assistance, like him or not, take the assistance and don't make it political and save your city, man. Save the city, for God's sake. You can have your political argument some other time. In the meantime, what about all the rest of the people that live there? You know, they deserve right. to, live, to live in safety, not in fear. Well, uh, But I think this, this, this process of gaslighting conditions people to accept fear as a normal, as the new normal. It does. And that's kind of what this COVID thing is proving, is that so many people are so willing to just wear these masks now as the new normal. This is going to be the way it's going to be forever. Uh, uh, no, I don't. I hope not. Yeah, the last thing I'll say, uh, Rick, because we're out of time, but it's definitely a point that I like making because it's true. If you look at Governor Newsom's for California, the new reopening plan, it's color-coded. Uh, you know, purple's the worst. I don't know what the top is, what the, but I think it's yellow, but there is no green. There is no, we're all, we're all in the clear. Everybody can 100% reopen and get back, get back to business. You know why? Because there is no finish line for him. Yeah, exactly. That, boy, is that revealing. Well, there is, it's very revealing. And again, if you want to find out more about gaslighting, it's in his recent article, Winning Our Affections. It's in the Escondido Times Advocate. Check that out online. Go to rickelkin.com. Find out about his book, The Illusion of Knowledge, Why So Many Educated Americans Embrace Marxism. He has other books there as well. Rick, I could talk to you for two hours. There's so much going on, but we're going to have you back on a lot sooner because this is all important stuff. And my friend, it's a pleasure having you back. Thanks, Noah. I really appreciate it. You have a great weekend. You as well. Noah here and across the county. Stay tuned. There's more coming up.